Good morning. Our reading today is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 13. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the... <clears throat> pardon me. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even the though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. <clears throat> though you have not yet, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hopes on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Nicole. And we'll be looking at that First Peter passage this morning, so if you want to keep your Bibles open for that, I would encourage you to do that. And uh, one of the things that Silica pointed out, which I didn't realize, is apparently I color matched with our gift a little bit today. <laughs> apparently I did. It's a good image, that, for us to have. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we just want to thank you. Um, there's been lots of just sweet moments in this service, whether, whether, whether it's with our kids or whether it's with prayers lifted up, whether it's songs being sung, Lord, and even just the warm connection happening in this room, I pray it would continue. And uh, Lord, I just pray for this message about the gift of hope that you've given us. I pray, Lord, you would allow it to enter and speak to the parts of us that are in greatest need this morning the things, the ways that we need to remember who you are, or even ways that we need to discover and learn who you are. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. Now, I am definitely a mixed bag of lots of just different kinds of jobs in the past, to be honest. If, if you ever, I'll, I'll be happy to sit down with you anytime and go through all these different odd jobs I've had before becoming a pastor or part of the journey of becoming a pastor, really. And one of them, which was quite fun, was I used to be a Christmas caroler. So there's me right here on the far left. 
full Victoria getup. I got little coattails. Got little coattails. And uh, I did this for several years. I kind of helped put together a caroling group, and I had so much fun doing it. We would go to parties, different kinds of events, and really, you know, at the end of the day, I just love to sing. So, like, you put me anywhere, I'll enjoy singing. I really will. Um, And this was at a mall taken outside because I used to live in a very warm place. There's no snow on the ground. Um, But I I had a moment... um, uh, a few years into this, where I was with a group, and Christy, my wife, was singing with me in this one time. We went to the zoo, of all places. And we were singing, and it was very dark, where they asked us to, um, where they asked us to stand. It was a group of four, like what you see in the picture. Where they asked us to stand was like way off the beaten track, and so we weren't close to anybody. People were coming for this event at the zoo, not for, to see the animals, but it was an event. But they asked us to sit way on the side, and I wasn't dressed really well, and so it was actually kind of cold. And so we were put off to the side, what felt like in the complete dark, in the cold, crying out and singing songs of Advent about Christ coming. Just crying out. And I, and I remember it was uncomfortable. One of the, the women that was with us, it was her first time singing. It's like, this is what you do? I'm cold. This is miserable. She, she didn't do another song after that. But... And I remember that moment because I think this is something that happens every year. It speaks to something about our need around Advent. As Advent comes around every year, these songs, whether they're Advent songs, carols, or songs of prayer and worship, we cry out and lift them up because of the many areas of need and desperation we find ourselves You you, you know, we sing these songs every year, every year. and, And I just think of myself. In Victorian era, probably more cold than I want to be. And I am crying out, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Just hoping someone will hear us. I'm crying out, come, thou long-expected Jesus. I desire to see you. I'm crying out joy to the world, hoping someone will hear and also being reminded myself. A lot of us experience very difficult hardship, and the season of Advent and Christmas awakens this Either you're remembering things that have happened over the past year or past Christmases, or you're remembering the things that didn't happen this year. And in this time, in the dark, we are reminded about Christ coming, that he has come at his birth, that he will come again. And there's so many things that I just want to cry out with the people in Scripture, how long, O Lord? And We could come up with an endless list of things that we just want to cry out and lament to God. How long do we have to deal with world war? How long do we have to deal with poverty for people not having enough? How long do we have to deal with physical brokenness and sin for our minds to not work the way God designed, him, God designed them to, whether it's through anxiety or depression, or even our bodies physically, for all of us together, our bodies ceasing to work the way God designed them to work? How long do we have to live in these aches of longings for what is meant to be when it has not yet come to pass. We begin singing Christmas songs because Christ who comes in Advent is our beacon of hope for the hopeless. And it's why we have this image here of an anchor uh, because for a ship that's in the middle of a storm, you have no options. You can't get to the coast. What do you do? You have to pull your sail down, otherwise it'll be ripped off the boat. And instead you drop anchor because it's the only thing you can do to slow But when I think, how long, Lord, do these things continue? It's wave after wave. It's the wind getting stronger, the night getting darker. 
But Christ is not just a beacon, it is our anchor. It comes from Hebrews 6, where it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It actually keeps us grounded in the midst of the worst of storms. That was a very powerful image for us as a church last year that I will never forget. Jesus and the storm. And so with this image, and what I invite you to for the season of Advent is to use these images as the images of gifts. God has given us who follow Jesus real gifts, gifts that are not just add-ons, not just like add-on things that you get to open up for Christmas. No, it is a gift that is absolutely what we need. And really, even at my household, some of this series comes from the fact that I have young kids, five-year-old, three-year-old, where I'm realizing that the idea and understanding of what a gift is, is all out of whack. It's all out of whack. And the gifts that they need, what I need and what you need are these gifts that we will reflect on each Sunday. The first of which is a gift of hope that first Peter talks about. Peter, the apostle, the rock of the church, is writing to people who know what it's like to live in the gap between the already and the not yet, crying out how long. He hears the cries of the people. And he writes to people from two senses. One, the many people who have already waited a very long time for Christ. First Peter and much of this text and other parts of First Peter are steeped in scripture of all the people, the psalmist that cries out, why are you downcast my soul? Or all the prophets, all the prophets that pointed to Jesus, he's coming, the promised king, he's coming. And yet at the same time, they feel like God is hiding their face from him. Or even Job, who commits to put his hope in God, even though, as he says in Job, though you slay me, Many people have waited before Christ for deliverance, and Peter's also writing to people who have been waiting for Jesus a long time and now are still waiting for him, us. The people who wait after Christ came, died, rose again, and also ascended into heaven. And so the gift is hope, hope that's in Jesus. So this, first, this chapter of 1 Peter opens us up, and it gives us three ways to understand what the gift of hope actually is. The gift of hope, whenever we light a candle for Advent, which hope is one of the themes always remembered in candle lighting liturgies, that it is a hope that is specifically in Jesus. And there's three dimensions of it that First Peter talks about. Hope produces new life. Hope sustains us in the dark. And also, it is hope that gives us the right eyes to see the present and the future. And so what I'm going to do is just talk through this chapter and go through those different dimensions. Hope that gives new life. Hope that sustains us in darkness. And also hope that gives us eyes to see. So the first is living hope produces new life. And what, it already, what, what Peter already wants to say, he's writing to believers who are being persecuted, who are experiencing way more suffering than they thought they would experience for following Jesus. Because the values of following Jesus, there's no other way to slice it, is completely different than what the world praises, what the world champions. And if you're not in line with what the world wants, you will be persecuted. You will experience hardship. And so the first verse tells us much of what this gift is about. Verse 3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's doxology. He's praising God. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And so what this means, living hope, when you receive this gift, because Peter's talking to people who have found hope in Jesus. It's, it's happened. They believe that Jesus died for them, that he lived for them, that he reigns for them. So they have received hope from God, and he calls it living hope. It's not dead. It is hope that's alive, that sustains, that empowers. And, it, and, this, and the way he talks about it in the life of someone who follows Jesus, it is both immediate and progressive and how it transforms us. On a day, a bad day, you're reminded someone sends you a, a prayer. Someone sends you a scripture reference about God's hope, that you could put your hope in God, that he is your rock and your refuge. You are immediately invited to hope in God. But then it transforms us that day by day, the more and more you place your hope in God, the more and more you receive from it, the more and more you're blessed by it. And the letter, it erupts. It erupts like a big song that's like way loud at the beginning of a letter of praise. Praise is what's erupting because it, it, praise comes out of people who have experienced a change in how they see the world, how they see themselves, how you see God. And I don't know if that's changed for you. Some of us grew up in the church where you're kind of given a worldview that's Christ-centered and some of us not. It's very interesting to talk to whatever the counterpart for you is, to talk more to someone who didn't grow up in the church, if you grew, in the church, grew up in the church, or if you did grow up in the church, I might've gotten that backwards, so you get my point. Talk to the counterpart, because you'll find that, wow, like you, you'll understand more and more about what that worldview looks like and what that transformation is. It's a living force that helps us expect exactly what God's going to do. Hope is about understanding, you know, God has said, I will do these things in the world. When I experience difficulty, hardship, I will experience these. God will do these things. And he talks about it as new birth. New birth is this idea, I'm being born again. Which when I think of born again, I think of what we testify in baptism. Whether we're baptizing our children or we have an adult that's coming testifying to who God is. It is this image of someone being washed completely by the blood of Christ through the promises of God. And one of those promises is hope, that hope would descend upon a person no matter how closely they walk with God or not, and that promise would always be for them, and nothing can take away that promise. So in sum, the first part of this gift of living hope is this, is this gift of new birth. It's this gift of new life. Some of us have experienced it. Some of us need to experience it more. Because we're not called to stagnation, but we're called to newness. That picture just captures me so much. This idea of, one, is very cute baby. But that we would be born again with open arms to who God is and what he wants for us. Born open to what God wants for us. Not clinging to what we need. God, I'll follow you, but I need to cling on to this part of my old life. No, I'm open to everything that God wants for me. The second dimension of the gift of hope is this that living hope sustains us in the dark. Living hope sustains us in the dark. One verse in verse five, just before this section, it says that faith in this kind of God who has this kind of hope shields us by God's power. And I think about this community that Peter's writing to. I think about what it means to be a Christian today where you might bump into a Christian at a store, but more often or not, you're, more likely you're not going to. More often, you're going to bump into someone who is either agnostic, an atheist, or someone who might come from a completely different worldview of religion. And to say that we are people of hope is to say something about how Jesus is, 
but it also says something about how we encounter suffering. I'm always fascinated by how a culture responds to loss and death, whether it's like a a reporter on a TV show, whether it's a podcast that I'm listening to. People talk about death in strange ways when you don't have hope. More often than not, people don't know what to say. More often than not, they're kind of lost in the midst of their emotional sort of turmoil, sadness, anxiety, or even really, you know, they're grieving themselves of their own losses. But when you, when you encounter suffering as a Christian, there are other possibilities at work, and Peter names them, things that are surprising even to me. Verse 6 of chapter 1, it says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, to ha- you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Wait, what? Rejoice in the midst of suffering? Following Jesus means suffering. If you actually look at all of what Jesus says in following him, he kind of gives a heads up at how costly it will actually be to follow him. And yet we're often surprised. The people that Peter's writing to are surprised. But what's perhaps even more surprising is that he sees suffering as an opportunity for joy. Suffering as an opportunity for joy, which is one of the Advent themes. We'll talk about joy. But how could suffering be part of joy? Really, you can't experience suffering as joy or even connect hope as a gift with the most difficult parts of circumstances if you don't have a conviction about what is true, what the life, what all of our life is based upon, and ultimately what life, what God has determined life will be. That I look at my life and I think I am called to be faithful to my family. I'm called to be faithful to Jesus and to this church. But there, I, I don't know how many years that I will have to do that. I'm only called to do that to the, most, the best of my ability that I can for whatever season of life. Nothing is guaranteed because ultimately my life is preparing for me to be in the presence of God for eternity. I'm being prepared to be in the presence of God for eternity. And whatever struggles, Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. Whatever struggles I experience, you know, with sin, with hardship, personally, with my family, whatever those things are, those are part of me being prepared to be fully present with God. And when I'm fully in line with who God is, is when I can be joyful in ways that are surprising. It's because God is telling me in those moments of how close he actually is. I want to read a quote by an author named Tish Harrison Warren. I think I misspelled her name, so I feel bad about that. Tish Harrison Warren. um, And she describes how God's hope meets us in the dark. Let me read this for us. The hope God offers us is this. He He will keep close to us even in darkness, even in doubt, in faith or in fear and vulnerability, he does not promise to keep bad things from happening. He does not promise that night will not come or that it will not be terrifying or that we will immediately be tugged to shore. He promises that we will not be left alone. The gift of living hope, the kind of living hope that sustains us in the dark is the one that reminds us of the presence of God with us in all seasons that God is present. Nothing can ever separate us from God. When I was a chaplain, that was always what I prayed for people in the midst of horrific suffering. 
I don't know what's about to happen, but I know that God loves you and that there is, not, there is not a moment coming up in your future that God will not be part of that, that God will be with you always. And that is what living hope is. It sustains you through the hor- most horrible nights. And it's also what brings us to the point that Christ will be revealed. What gives us hope, as Peter talks about, is that Christ will be revealed, which brings about praise, not if Christ will be revealed, if Christ will be revealed to others. No, he will be. Look at verse 8 with me, 1 Peter 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith and the salvation of your souls. I don't know how you are this morning or how even this upcoming month looks like for you. But some of us have very unresolved sufferings, things going on that we are not done with as much as we would want to be done with. And in this season, we need to look to Christ and to say, he has promised to sustain us. He's promised to be with us. That's what living hope is. You have promised to be with us. And I can take comfort in that. I can grieve. I can lament. I don't have to put on a happy face. But I can also, just as readily as I can name my fear and anxiety and sadness, I can name the God of hope for me. Living hope sustains us in the darkness of suffering by revealing the present love of God, even at our worst. This is the last one. So living hope produces new life. If you're following Jesus, it produces new life. If you want a fresh start, it means following Jesus or renewing your, how you follow Jesus. Second, living hope sustains us in the dark. That is the suffering. That is the struggle. And then three, living hope gives us eyes to behold the present and future rightly. Living hope gives us eyes to behold the future and present rightly. And so much, it's actually awkward to read in the English. I really appreciate Nicole reading it because if you read verse 10, 11, and 12, it kind of, a lot of the biblical languages, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, when you translate them into English, it can, come, it can be translated kind of clunky. And I really feel that way with these few verses. But what it's speaking to is what the prophets were doing all throughout, you know, we're at the very end of the Bible with First Peter, but all throughout the rest of the book. What they've been doing, what they were called to, to be faithful in the midst of their suffering, of waiting for the promised king, they were pointing ahead to what was to come. Because they were trying to get in line with how God sees the world. God, you promised you would bring a promised king whose kingdom would never end. So they're going to talk to people about that. That comforts the people in the room that they're with. All the prophets were trying to point and direct us to expecting Christ. I mean, even Isaiah would talk about how the same Christ who would be born would also be the same one to suffer. Would be the same one to die. And it's only by the spirit of Christ that we experience when we embrace life, we embrace this gift of hope, that we actually start to see what God's doing in the world. It, it can be disorienting when you think about, you know, I think about the, world, the war in Ukraine happening or inflation happening and this growing need that goes well beyond what this church can meet or what the church we think could provide throughout the world. And yet that's not how God sees these circumstances at all. God has his plan, he has his purpose, and he attends and will bring hope to the world. And for us, there are just times when we need to be reminded of that, to actually be reminded of this is how the world is. I don't want to let, 
all the panic, all the anxiety distract me from this, that when I come to Christmas, when I come to gathering with people who are following Jesus, it is about this hope, this living hope. And if I can relent, if I can lay down my fears, I can lay down my anxieties, I can actually look at the world in in a very different way. And that very different way is God's way. He leads us to it. The last verse, verse 12, it says this. It was revealed to them, and he's talking about the prophets going way back. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that had not been told, that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. See the run on there? I find that really clunky language. Um, And I think what he's talking about is the prophets were faithful in suffering. They were with a community of people who suffered and they didn't even get to see Jesus. They didn't even get to see the Christ come. They didn't get to see and behold Christ born in a humble manger. And then also Jesus says this to his disciples in Luke after he sent them out to perform miracles. It's in Luke 10, 23. He turns to his disciples and he tells them this. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. We understand parts of God's story of hope for the world for all eternity in a way that many people before us have never understood. And yet they were called to faith. They were called to a certainty about what they, what they didn't understand and didn't, and didn't see themselves. We are so blessed to know and see Jesus at the manger, to remember him through Christmas and through Advent as the king that was promised and the king that, will not, that did not just come, but will come again. We're called like the prophets. Our kids downstairs are talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist who knew he was very much not the Messiah. He knew it. But he was called to point and prepare the way for Jesus. He was called to get people ready to follow Christ. So we are called to be pointers. There's a quote by Paul David Tripp, which I think is really helpful, helpful for this time, for this theme, which is this. Hope is not a thing, not a location, not a situation, not an experience. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. The last verse of this section in 1 Peter hits this home really well. What we're called to do all throughout Christmas, when you, t- when you come with, you've received a gift of hope today. What you're called to do with it is this verse, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on Christ in the midst of maybe you not feeling like you have as much money as you did past year for all the things you normally do for Christmas. Set your hope on Christ in the midst of the unresolved conflict in your family and the unresolved issue with your job or your spouse's job or what's going on in the health of your family or your kids. Set your hope on the grace that Christ will come, has come for you. He will come again. And that's the key, that we actually approach Jesus in as we approach Christmas, that we don't get it confused. I so badly want my kids to know that Christmas is about Jesus' coming, not about gifts. The gifts distort our minds to what we think we want, we think what we need, but Jesus is key. 
Jesus became a human and was born. That's the new life piece. Jesus himself endured the darkness of Calvary, the darkest of night, nailed on a cross in order to provide a shield of comfort by his power for my family, for your family, for his whole family. And Jesus suffered, but he also was victorious. He was victorious to ensure that one day all tears would cease. That is what it means to see the world through God's eyes, what is and how it will be. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. One of the uh, Advent songs, there's a, uh, they're filled with beautiful language about this season. They're filled with beautiful language about what it means to prepare your heart to follow Christ and to celebrate him in this season. And one of the ones for this Sunday that I was reflecting on is, Oh, Holy Night. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And this is the the phrase I reflected on this week. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. The thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. For yonder breaks a new glorious morn. And this is what the song prompts us to. If you've experienced the thrill of hope, even in the midst of a weary heart, a weary world, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, the night that Christ was born. Fall on your knees. It's inviting us to worship And as we prepare for what this table represents for communion, it is about falling on our knees before God, saying, you know, I've put my hope in other things and they have failed me, but today I put my hope solely on you, Jesus. And we're going to be preparing our hearts just through a little music just now. But what I would invite you to, even in prayer, just to confess anything before the Lord you have, but then you may come freely to this table. For Jesus is the source of our faith and our affection. He has secured the right place for us and he secured our future as well. And so I uh, join me in praying as we prepare our hearts for the table. Lord, I just pray that we would experience what it, what it feels like for a thrill of hope to enter our hearts and our minds, to excite us and to lead us towards what you want for us, and Lord, I just pray that you would, um, you would use this table as a witness to us. You would reveal who Jesus is, but you would also use this table to remind us that you've given us an incredible gift. The table itself is a gift. It represents communion with you completely. And so, Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts this, at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.